Jesus, uh, as we go to your word now, we pray that you would bless this time, uh, that, that as we look at the scriptures, your holy word, that you would speak, that we would read it and understand it and know how to apply it, that we would be people of the book, your book. So give us understanding, give me words. pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning again. We are coming into the Christmas season, uh, and so we want to do a special uh, Christmas series. And we're doing Ruth this year, and I'll explain why in a few minutes. I want to start with the story first. I was driving recently with uh, my wife on our day off. We take Fridays off, we're driving to Manaqua. And uh, we were kind of exploring the area, and we were trying to look for Walmart. And uh, trying. And so I took my phone, and I have a, a GPS on my phone. And uh, so I, I punched in the Walmart address, or I just punched in Walmart, and it was going to take me there. And so I started following the directions, and it said we were about eight miles away. And I'm like, oh, I, didn't, I wish I was closer than eight miles. That's a little bit, but okay, fine, we'll, we'll drive. And uh, I, I went through an intersection, and I saw a sign but for Walmart. And I didn't see the Walmart. I just saw some trees and I saw a sign. And I thought, huh, there's a sign. And, and, and I don't know if that's it or not. Maybe Walmart relocated. I, I don't know. And so uh, my, my phone told me to keep going, that I was still, whatever, seven miles away. I listened to my phone. You know, 15 years ago, you wouldn't have heard anybody ever say that. I listened to my phone. I didn't listen to the, what I, you know, I didn't saw the sign, but I listened to my phone. Uh, <laughs> so I listened to my phone and, and I kept uh, walking and, and not walking, driving, and uh, I turned down a road, and it was full of woods and trees, and I thought, am I really going down this way to, to find Walmart? And I don't, I don't know where I was, but I thought, fine, I came this far, I'm still a good three miles away, I'm going to drive into the woods. So I'm driving into the woods, getting closer and closer to the road that it says Walmart's on, and finally we hit the road, and, and I looked over, and the road is a dead-end street that goes into the woods a little more. I didn't turn there. I said, enough with the phone. <laughs> I deleted that app, and I turned around, and uh, I said, we're going back to where that sign was, eight miles back, and see if Walmart's there. Sure enough, Walmart was there. Uh, sometimes in life, we find ourselves at a dead end. Okay? We, we, we feel like sometimes we follow the directions. We, we've got the Bible. We've got God's directions for us. And we've been doing, we, we've been trying to follow him. And yet, regardless of that, we find ourselves at a dead end. And, and we say, why is this happening to me? Why doesn't God just step in and fix this? I'm following God. I know he's hearing my prayers. I know he cares. I know all these things. I've been in church my whole life. And yet I'm at this dead end. Why is this happening? And if you walk into the Christmas season like that, redemption might not be as real for you. But I want it to be real for you. God wants it to be real for you. So we're going to look at the book of Ruth and look at some of the unredeemed things in life. Leading up to the reality, though, of redemption. So I would invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 1. Please go to Ruth chapter 1. If you were to ask me why Ruth, 
why do this series that we're going to call uh, Road to Redemption this Christmas, maybe the, the sermon series gives the hint away. In calling this series Road to Redemption, I'm implying, and, and you can see in Scripture, that Ruth is in the line of Christ, and so she has a big part of Christmas. If you look at Jesus' genealogy, Ruth is in there. And I've just given away the end of the story, because if, if I didn't tell you that, maybe you wouldn't understand why we picked Ruth. But when you get to Ruth chapter 4, you find out Ruth's in the line of David. And I'm sure the writer of Ruth wanted that to be like the little surprise. You know, Ruth chapter 4, boom, there it is. I mean, it was a beautiful love story and a beautiful story of God's providence. But Ruth chapter 4, you see, oh, she's, she's a predecessor. She, she's in the ancestry of King David. This is who she is, a Moabite woman. And so she is also in the line of Jesus Christ. Ruth is in the road to the Redeemer coming to save us all. So she belongs in the Christmas story. She has a big part to play. And the Christmas story is about the coming of the Redeemer, the one who's going to save humanity from their sins. Ruth is also a story of redemption. It's got to be one of the biggest themes in the book, redemption. So if you would look at Ruth chapter 1, Joshua Judges, Ruth. (laughs) I should have looked while I was talking. (laughs) All right, uh, page 187. If you're in a blue Bible, still looking for it. Ruth chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter, the entire first chapter. So just relax, follow along. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Kilion, I, I, I don't know. Um, it's, a, it's a manly name. Uh, <clears throat> they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if, I, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods Go back with her. 
But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem at, as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, you have a story of a Jewish family that's left Israel because of a lack of food. And they go to the country of Moab to survive as a family. I don't know if you think that's a good idea or a bad idea. Is it ever good to leave the promised land? If you're in a community group, you will ask yourselves that question. And you can tell me the answer. Uh, but they leave. They leave. And Naomi's husband dies. Tragedy, calamity. And then, to add even a worse calamity, the other people that could take care of Naomi also die. Her two sons, who also who married Moabite women. Maybe not a common thing for a Jewish young man to do, to marry a Moabite woman, a foreign woman. Usually they married in the nation of Israel. But they did marry Moabite women. And then the sons died. And in that culture, men took care of, of, of making the money, of providing for the family. And so Naomi has no one. Her daughters-in-law have no one. All the men in Naomi's life have failed her. She is alone. She tells her daughters-in-law, just go back home. You don't want to stay with me. I'm going to go back to Israel. I'm going to go back to where I grew up. You shouldn't come with me. Now, what is the author of Ruth trying to say here? What is his or her, I don't know who wrote Ruth, what is the main point here that the author is trying to get through in chapter 1? If you have your bulletin, you have notes in it. And it would be helpful to pull those out because on the back of those notes, there's a chart. There is a chart. And what you see on the chart is the author set up chapter 1 in a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure. I'm not saying that because I'm brilliant. Scholars say that, okay? I'm just passing this on. Um, <laughs> I didn't study this for 20 hours to come up with it. It's a chiastic structure. And what happened is he set the first half of the chapter to mirror the second half of the chapter. So if you have the thing in front of you, you'll notice that when in verse 1, the family leaves because of famine. But in verse 22, when they come back, it's the barley harvest. Famine, harvest. I mean, those are, those are opposites, but they're still a report of the food situation. You'll notice that in the beginning, 
Naomi's introduced, and that's her name, Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. At the end, she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. That means bitter. You'll notice that uh, Naomi tells her daughters-in-law to leave, and then there's this, this emotional goodbye in verse 9. If you're looking at the chart, that'd be letter F. There's this emotional goodbye. The letter G, they weep. And then in the G below that, after Naomi says, I can't have a husband tonight, and so you're never going to find another uh, person to marry from my family, they weep again. You notice that? They wept before Naomi's statement, and they wept after. But right in the center of the chapter, the direct center of the chapter, is verses 11 through 13. I want to read them again. This is the author's emphasis. This is what the author wants you to carry away from chapter 1, maybe more than anything else. Here it is. I'll read it again. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Okay. Surrounded by the weeping is this central point that the author is trying to say, and if you have your notes out, this is the big problem, slide one. The big problem is there's no redemption in sight. Maybe back one more. There it is. Uh, there's no redemption in sight. Kind of a depressing first point to make in the book of Ruth, but that is what the author is going for. There's no redemption. Now, what does redemption mean? They'd be good to know. We sing about it. We know Jesus is a redeemer. Redemption means to deliver persons or property from debt or calamity. I believe that's the next slide. To deliver persons or property from debt or calamity. So, what we've got going on here is a calamity. As I said, all the men in Naomi's life have failed her. She has no one to care for her. She's living in a foreign land. And she has a couple daughters-in-law who also cannot provide for her. And that is not to demean her as a woman. It's just to say in that culture, that was how it was for women. They couldn't just go out and get a job and provide for the family. That wasn't how it worked. What is she going to do? There's no redemption in sight. And so she starts talking to her daughters and says, and maybe when you first read this, you go, That's, if you haven't read Ruth before, you read this and go, why is she talking about having more sons that maybe the daughters can marry? That's a little strange. But what she's referring to is the, uh, is the law in Torah that provided for her based on a kinsman redeemer. Uh, let me read Deuteronomy 25.5 for you. It goes like this. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. So the idea of a kinsman redeemer was, if your husband died, you would marry the husband's brother. I said, Christy, I have two brothers that are unmarried. You're okay if something happens to me. And she, she didn't like that. So not anything, not any offense to my brothers, uh, but there it is. Uh, <laughs> But back then, 
Guess what? There's no social security. I don't know if there'll be social security for me, but for them, there was no social security. This was God's form of that program. God knew there would be widows who would need help in that culture where men brought home the bread, so to, so to speak. And so God graciously provided this law that said, if your husband dies and you are in financial straits, you will marry the husband's brother. And he will provide for you. In fact, this redeeming thing even went so far as to apply to your property. You could actually buy back property. If you were going into debt and you had to sell your family's land to help pay the debts, this redeemer could buy back your land to keep it in the family. Redemption applied to property. It applied to people. It was to save you from something terrible that had come upon you. And so when Naomi says, I can't have any more kids, daughters, and even if I could, you wouldn't wait for them to get old enough to marry. She's referring to this law. It's not a, not a weird thing she's coming up with. She's referring to the Old Testament law. And even this is shameful. Her, her own sons weren't able to come through through her daughters-in-law, and she's got no more kids. She's at the bottom. So she says, go back. There's no hope here. There's no redemption in sight. Jesus was born into a very unredeemed world, a very unredeemed Israel. In fact, you might remember a story about when Jesus was born, he was taken into the temple. Remember that story? I'd invite you to turn there for a minute. Go to Luke chapter 2. Keep your finger in Ruth, but go to Luke chapter 2. Around verse 38, I believe. Verse 36, we'll make it that. Luke chapter 2, page 725 in your blue Bibles, if you're using a pew Bible. Verse 36 says, There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So she was married to her husband seven years, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So there's a whole group of people in Israel that are waiting for redemption. Fix the brokenness of our world. Fix the brokenness of our hearts. We don't have any explanatory comment here on what they were thinking when it came to redemption. I know a lot of Israel was like, get rid of Rome. I mean, Rome was... Uh, Israel became a prov- part of Rome, Rome, the Roman deal around, it was in the mid-60s BC when, when Israel became part of the whole Roman structure of things. So Israel is, is groaning and saying, where's the Redeemer? And part of that redemption, of course, is also sin. Who will save us from our sin? And again, there's no authorial comment here to say what kind of redemption we're talking about. It just says, people were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And this baby was going to bring about that redemption. Now think about it. Whether we're talking about spiritual redemption or or physically freeing Jerusalem, which we know did not happen the way the Jews hoped, they were waiting. Think about the time between Old Testament and New Testament, 400 years of silence. No prophets. no, No amazing 
God-ordained ministry that was happening through the prophetic ministry in that intertestamental period. 400 years of silence. People are waiting. They're waiting. And then you have Jesus coming into the darkness as the redeemer of humanity. He has come. He has come. And we've been singing about it this morning. Christmas is about the advent of the redeemer, the one who's going to fix things. We look at Romans like 8, Romans 8.23 says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the, are the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are groaning as we wait for God to redeem this, this thing that we're living in for the 70 or so years maybe that we have on earth. We're waiting, we're groaning. And Ruth chapter 1 says, this is reality. There are many unredeemed things in life. We have relationships that are broken. Last week we talked about prodigal kids. That's an unredeemed thing. You're praying. You're praying that your, your son or your daughter would come back. Come back to the faith. Come back to a way that honors Christ. And it's not redeemed. It's not fixed. You, you come back from the doctor and you have poor news on your health and you say, this is unredeemed. This is not, I want it fixed, but it's not. You meet with family at Christmas time and you realize the people that are not there that should be there. And you remember, this is so unredeemed. And we face holiday season as special as this time is and as important as this time is to remember the coming of Christ. We often face it with many unredeemed things staring us in the face. What do we do? What do we do? Which brings us to the crux of the whole issue. What does Naomi do? What does Ruth do? We have the option of two responses when things in life are unredeemed. We can become bitter or we can become broken before the Lord. Next slide. We can become bitter or we can become broken. Naomi became bitter, okay? She went back to Israel. Oh, back up one. She went back to Israel and she arrives and she says, and she looks different, first of all. Did you notice that? People said, is, is, is this Naomi? Is this really her? I mean, her bitterness was, was so strong, I would say she actually looked different. She looked, I, I don't think this is weight gain, okay? I, I don't think that was, I don't think it's talking about, or oh, she really aged. I, I don't think that's it. I, again, I could be speculating a little bit here, but I think bitterness affected even the way she appeared when she walked back into Israel, when she walked back into Bethlehem. This is Naomi? And she says, don't call me that. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, call me bitter. Because God is against me. God has brought calamity into my life and he has not fixed it. I imagine when Naomi's parents named her that, they were anticipating a pleasant life for their daughter. We're going to call her Naomi. And Naomi, she, she cannot, like Job, say, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised. She doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. She stays bitter 
at God, at life, at the hand she's been dealt, so to speak. And when you're bitter, this is what you do. This is what you are. You can write these down and ask yourself if this is in any way overtaking your life. Bitter people are blind to the blessings of life. Bitter people are blind to the blessings of life. You think about it, she has an incredibly loyal daughter-in-law. Would you ladies be this loyal to your mother-in-law? Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) She has an incredibly loyal daughter-in-law. That's amazing. That is cause for thanks. I have a partner who will walk with me in this, in this calamity and will not leave me. That's amazing. But she's blind to it. Call me Mara, I'm bitter. Life is bad. Bitter people are also closed off to God. They can't say like Job, God is good. She says, Naomi, or, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ruth, Orpah, go back to your gods. I feel like the, the, the editorial comment is, this one's just not worth following. I, I don't want to put more words in what she says. Go back to your gods. I don't care how bad life can get, I would never tell someone to start worshiping a pagan god over the one true God. But that's what she says. She also pushes people away. Go back, go back. Bitter people push other people away. People that want to help, people that want to support you and love you, you push them away. Now, Ruth, on the other hand, is an example of brokenness before the Lord, the example that we are supposed to follow. I want to show this to you. Were you wondering what Santa Claus is doing up here? All right. Hopefully. Yes, there we go. Okay. One more thing we need. Mike Maney, this is why I brought the hammer. (laughs) Okay. I preached this sermon once before, and uh, I thought it wasn't a good idea for people to get splattered with the uh, remnants here. Okay. I'm a professional breaker, just so you know. (laughs) Ready? (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. (laughs) Yes. There we go. All right, there we go. Some of you really didn't like that, I know. All right. What do we have left here? There we are. All right. Now, brokenness is different than bitterness. Brokenness doesn't say life's okay, because that's a lie. Brokenness doesn't say, oh, everything's just so wonderful. No, no. Brokenness says, life stinks. 
This is the way it is right now for me. Things are unredeemed. And I'm not talking spiritual redemption here because we have salvation in Christ. That doesn't change. But, but life is unredeemed. The physical part of things, the emotional part of things. I am broken before God. I am broken before Him. And this is what we find in the rubble that's left over of all the unredeemed things staring at us in the face, we find something that surprises us. We find strength. Okay? We find strength in the rubble of our brokenness. When you are broken before God, you discover a secret. The big secret. The big secret is when you are weak, He is strong in you. And if God is strong in us, then we have strength. Okay? This is the secret. You can be, bro- you can be bitter and push people away and push God away and not call Him good and not worship Him on Sunday morning and not worship any other day of the week, but you won't get this. You won't get this. You're on your own there. But when you are broken before God and say, God, life stinks and I choose to praise you anyway, this is what you get when you sift through the rubble. This is the way Paul says it. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why are you content with those things, Paul? Answer, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And he's not just playing with semantics there. He's not saying, I'm re- I really tough it out and, and shore up everything, and I really just stick it out when I get weak. When things get rough, I get tougher, and I... No, no, no. He's saying, when I am weak, God's powerful presence is working in me in that situation. I count on it. It's there. A story will work at this point, I think. I had a roommate in college who I also uh, went to church with. I grew up with this guy at uh, Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria. He became my roommate at Moody Bible Institute. After my freshman year, over the summer, we came back to school in the fall, and his junior high brother had passed away. His brother was riding across a busy intersection in Peoria, right by the church, actually, that they attend. And his brother did not have the, the walking sign. It was not flashing, to, it wasn't letting him walk, but he went across on his bike anyway, and a car hit him. And I remember my roommate coming back in the fall after that, that tragedy, and he was not the same. He was not the same. I, we tried to cheer him up. It was, I had another roommate in my room as well. We tried to cheer him up and do things that would lighten the day. I remember him talking to me about it, his brother. I remember the day that he told me that um, on top of everything that happened with the accident, the car that hit his brother, and I'm not saying it was their fault, but the car that hit his brother called up his parents and said, you need to pay for our windshield. 
So, you've got an unredeemed situation, the loss of a brother. You've got unredeemed people that are just twisting the knife. What do you do in the face of that, all of those unredeemed things? I am happy to say that my roommate held on to his faith, that in his brokenness, he clung to God. I'm happy to say that when he told me that story, he also was quick to point out the pastor of our church who was with the family all night when, when the son was brought to the hospital before he passed away. The pastor just ministered to the family. He's like, God was there. God was there. I'm not going to tell you that that semester he came back was a happy one for him. That whole year was not very happy for him. And, and my roommate and I would talk about ways we could creatively cheer him up. I'll save those stories for another time because we had some great ideas. <laughs> just, just for trying to lighten the load for a moment. Life's not okay when those things happen. But you can still hold on to Christ, to the people in your life that are important. You can still hold on with the straight God, God gives you. So maybe the question now is, What do I do when I'm in the broken part? What do I do knowing that God's strength is there? What do I do with that strength if God's giving it to me in the middle of brokenness? What do I do? Next slide. We do what Ruth did. I I should read it again because it's worth reading again. If God's going to give us strength in brokenness, what do I do with that strength? Here's what you do. Verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If anything but death separates you and me, When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Yeah. (laughs) Powerful urging. (laughs) But a powerful response. I am not leaving you. In our brokenness, we cling to family. We cling to family. Ruth says, I am not leaving a family member. I'm not leaving you, Naomi. At this holiday season... This is a perfect time maybe to have that hard conversation with someone. I've seen uh, my extended family work on things like this around the holiday season and I've seen it bless them. Cling to family. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been getting along with your parents and you're like the prodigal son we talked about last week or daughter and there's been, you've been at odds. Maybe you think you're even justified but you've been at odds. Maybe this is the year you're going to cling to your family because God has given them to you. Use the strength he will provide to help you. Cling to family. I spoke to a young guy. I I preached this last year. Uh, There was a a church in Oshkosh, a free church that I was preaching at every now and then and they were doing a series on Ruth and I love that idea. That's why I stole it for here. And uh, I got to do the first sermon in the series, which was this one. And around that same time, I was praying about this, and I remember I was, in, I was in youth group, and we were in a prayer circle, and we were all praying about needs, 
And I remember a young guy that was there, and I thought, this guy has some big issues with his dad. They're, they're at odds right now. And he's not going to be in high school much longer. I'd hate to see him carry this into college and beyond and for this issue to grow and, and, and become deeply rooted into their relationship. And I remember during that prayer time, I heard God say, you need to speak to that kid and talk to him about his dad. And I said to God, well, I, I mean, what if, what if he leaves right away? What if he doesn't, you know, I, what, what if? Do the Moses thing. And uh, no excuses. I, I heard God say it. After the prayer time was over, this young guy comes up to me and says, I got to talk to you, Niall, about my dad. <laughs> All right, you know, let's do that. I remember we went outside. I remember it was snowing. It was freezing cold, but it was not a conversation I wanted to have with lots of people around. Went outside in the freezing cold, and we're, we're shivering, and, and we're talking. And he said, I am ready to do whatever it takes to mend my relationship with my dad. Whatever he requires of me, I, I will submit and I will do it. Now, I don't, I just want to be completely honest. They had that conversation and I didn't see the submissiveness that he had that night. I don't know where they stand right now. But I do know that in that moment there was such a, a submittedness to what God wants and fixing family issues and clinging to people that you're related to and that's a beautiful thing. I realize that's not going to be the case for all of you. You may have such extreme circumstances that it wouldn't even be a good idea for that to happen at this point. I, I understand. But in many situations, clinging to family is a hard thing, but you have the strength to do it, or at least to open the door to it. Secondly, we cling to God's family. Think about this. Um, we do community groups for a reason here. Next month, January, you will have a chance to sign up to be in a group of other believers that want to grow in their faith and want to support you and pray for you. We call that an on-ramp, okay? There's on-ramps and off-ramps. Next month will be an on-ramp. If you want to get in a group with other people, that's a way to cling to God's family and to say, I don't want to go through life just doing this on my own. I want to do this with the family of God. Think about that. Think about inviting someone. If, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, invite someone to be here this holiday season that needs to hear about redemption. Because everybody's got issues. And they need to hear this kind of sermon. Okay? Think about who you can invite here this holiday season. And maybe that person will give their life to Christ and then they will be able to cling to God's family and benefit from being part of Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. We cling to God's family. Thirdly, we cling to God. Don't stop praising Him. Even if you come into church and you say, things are so bad, I have no reason to praise. God has saved you and you do have a reason to praise. He's given you forgiveness and new life in his son Jesus Christ. It cost him his son's death on the cross. You have reason to praise. God is still good and he will always be good. That doesn't change about him. No matter what he allows into your life. Fight for praise. Fight for joy in the Lord. That takes some strength. That takes digging into the Psalms. That takes prayers of your friends lifting you up. But cling to God and don't push Him away. Or you will say, call me Mara. I'm an angry person. I don't, I don't want God. 
It'd be better to go back to the pagan gods for all that I've got right now. Don't go there. Don't go there. One more story. When I was in high school, my, uh, I had a really good friend who uh, wanted to go into uh, youth ministry. And he had another friend. And his fr- I wasn't friends with this other guy. But this other guy was just an outstanding Christian high school student. I mean, so outstanding that we all knew of his faith. He, he, was, he was popular. He was athletic. He spoke well of Christ. I went to a Christian high school of about 400. And he, I remember him preaching to the high school student body. One of those guys. I mean, just a phenomenal young man. A model for us. And my friend and this other guy that was the preacher, <laughs> they were driving around one night. Snowy night. Semi hit them. Fl- flung from the car. I remember going in to see my friend, the one that I was close to. Uh, saw his messed up face, scars, all, I mean, stuff all over him. He survived. His friend that had preached to us so well also survived, but his mind did not. Now you say, I expected God to take this guy. I mean, he was preaching to me as a high school senior. I expected God to take this guy and do amazing things with him. And I still bet he is, but not in the way we expected. Not in the way we expected. And we're still waiting for that guy to be able to get up out of the wheelchair one day for his body and his mind to be redeemed. And I don't suppose that's going to happen in this life. I don't think it is. But one day in death, he will stand up and see his Savior and everything will be changed. And for some of you, that hope has to drive you on. Has to drive you on. I heard... um, I was in Watoma last week for the Thanksgiving Eve service and I was supposed to share in the service uh, and we did an open mic time where everybody, anybody that wanted to share things they were thankful for, they could take the microphone and share. And a good friend of ours, I didn't know this, uh, but she, she told everyone that she got a diagnosis from the doctor that would mean her life would be very, very shortened. And she didn't tell the whole church what it was. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but, but she told everybody that the diagnosis is very, very poor. And then she proceeded to praise God. And uh, I was the one following. I mean, she was like the last person to share. I had to follow up and share about how things are going up here. And I was like, I have, I have no words to match that beauty. I have no words. That is the kind of strength that you know God is present in that person's life. So I say all this to say, Please, please cling to God in the broken times and he will give you strength. The church will give you strength. Family will give you strength. But ultimately, God will give you strength. I'm going to pray and we're going to close. We're going to sing the same song we sang last week, Blessed Be Your Name. I invite the worship team to come up for one more song and uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we are a weak people. <laughs> we, we, we rely on flesh and blood, and we rely on our health. 
We rely on relationships that get broken, life that gets broken. And in the middle of all that, we, we can fool ourselves, God, into thinking that, that we're at the end. And, and things are so bad, we have nothing. And yet we know, we know, we are convicted that we have you and your presence and your power in our life. And so I pray for those here this morning that are in a broken time, who feel just as shattered as what we've got up here on display with this pot, that they feel so broken inside. I pray that you would infuse their body, soul, and spirit, their emotions with supernatural strength from you to them, that the church body would gather around them and lift them up in prayer, that that their family would be supportive of them in this time. I pray for the unredeemed things. God, I know some of them you are going to change in this life. Miraculously, you're going to step in and do some great things. We give you praise in advance for those. But we also, we realize there's so much brokenness. So God, be with us. Be our strength in these times. May we not fall into the trap of becoming bitter towards you and towards others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.